podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, SelectQuote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote. We shop. You save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. Hello and welcome to the Five Year Plan Podcast. We are back. Pre-season lasted five minutes and the new pod, the main pod, is back with a pre-season special. It's pod three, four, seven. And joining me this week, of course, Mr. Kevin Day is here. How are you? Uh, it's just started raining, so I'm very, very happy. <laughs> Really on brand for you. That's excellent. Um, Andrew Street <laughs> is here. How are you? That's very formal. I'm, I'm good, thank you. Yeah, I, I'm very well. Why did I call you? I never call you Andrew. I don't know why I did that. I, th- I think it's because I, I use this Zoom thing for, for work as well. And at work, I tend to go by Andrew. And then uh, everyone else sees oh. it and also calls me Andrew. But, you know, it is my name. So you're welcome <laughs> to call me that if you want. I, well, I know. <laughs> you, told, you told me it was Mr. Street at work. Well, yeah. <laughs> Clancy's asking, I suppose. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and completing the panel today, we are always delighted to have him on. It's the one and only, probably my favourite dad of a current Palace player. It's Troy Townsend. <laughs> How are hey, you? Hey, I'll take it. That's a good thing, yeah? <laughs> I mean, I haven't met any of the other dads, but um, even, even so. So I'm we competing l- against myself. <laughs> and you win. Congratulations. Um, it's great to have you on. Uh, wearing Always the Proud and Palace shirt, yeah. of course. Still available, I believe, in the club shop. Um, how are you? Um, yeah, I think like everyone else, it's it, it's good. It, it's indifferent. It's got some, some funny bits. Um, I was out in a big, wide-open world yesterday, so I felt like a big kid. Um, but yeah, <laughs> all, all good, all good. That's quite a good way of summing up the podcast, I think. Um, so I might use that as our tagline. Now, uh, guys, on today's pod, we're going to be discussing Palace's pre-season. We're going to be previewing the season and talking about Palace's so far fairly fruitful transfer window. But first, someone else who knows a thing or two about buying and selling is our pod sponsors this week, Oaks Estate Agent. With more than two decades of experience in Streatham, Croydon and South Norwood, they are your trustworthy local estate agents for moving or selling. They have a proven track record in all aspects of the property market, the sort of record Palace can only dream of having in the transfer market. For more information, call 020 3973 9700. That's 020 3973 9700 or email James 
at Oaks Estate Agents, that's O-A-K-S Estate Agents, and quote FYP to get a discount. So there we go. There are our sponsors this week. Uh, I should point out as well, James from Oaks Estate Agent, big Palace fan as well and a top man. So uh, delighted to have Oaks on board for this week. We've also got a shout out to a random patron. Can I get a drum roll, please? <laughs> it's Caroline Ramsey. Hey, hello, Caroline. Hi, Caroline. Hey, thank, Caroline. Thank you, Caroline, for your support. And you can join our patron and get the benefits, which include a post-match podcast, which will be back next week, um, and uh, patron-only merchandise and all sorts of things uh, at patreon.com forward slash FYP podcast. And we've got a shout out here from a Stephen Bishop who tweeted Kevin, you and us FYP and said, would you be able to give my uncle Bob a shout out on the podcast? He's a big Palace fan from Bromley. He's very unwell at the hospital at the moment. Just brought him a Palace face mask for when he God oh. willing recovers, which as a Brighton fan pained me. <laughs> Cheers from Steve. Well, Stephen, we can appreciate that gesture, can't we? Yes, we can. And hello, Uncle Bob. Fantastic. Uh, right. Let's crack on with part one. Uh, as we stand, we've got a week left. We're recording on Friday. So I think Palace got one or two friendlies left. We've had three so far. All victories, unbeaten so far, Kevin, in pre-season. Oxford 2-1, Charlton 3-0 and Millwall 1-0. Have you been paying much attention to these pre-season friendlies? People are feeling fairly positive about them so far. What's been your thoughts so far? I've not deliberately been paying attention to them, I have to say, but uh, I've got a couple of young friends who were very excited and kept me in touch at strange times of the day because they were watching the streams and telling me what was going on. It's always... Good to win friendlies, but as as Troy knows, in seasons past, they're, they're no guide to what's going to happen on the first day of the season. Um, it seems to be slightly more positive intent, but again, you, it's difficult to tell behind closed doors friendlies against teams from lower divisions. But yeah, you just you you're happy that you're winning games, and hopefully that continues as we go into the new season. Yeah, Troy, it has it has it has seemed seemed quite positive. We've had a question from Carl Hogan who says style and formation in pre-season thoughts. It looks it looks like Roy's been playing that sort of narrow four four two that he played when he thought of first turned up and had no strikers, so Andros and Wilf mm. went up front. Mm. And it seems to be looking quite good. I mean Kevin's right about pre-season. I remember it would have been 94, maybe 93, and Palace had an amazing pre-season in yeah. somewhere like Sweden. And then yeah. the first game of the season lost to Liverpool 6-1. And everything <laughs> went out the window. So he is right about that. But are there positives we can take from this pre-season? Because it, it doesn't look too bad so far. Well, if, if you can't take positives in pre-season, then we're in trouble, aren't we? Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. it, when you when you look at the lineup of the teams that we're playing, um, you would expect nothing, nothing less than what we've got, to be totally honest. But... I do like this shape. Uh, whether you can go into this shape out in the majority of the Premier League games, I, I don't know. It reminds me of, obviously, not only that, but when Ruben signed, Ruben Loftus-Cheek signed, and, and we'll talk about as there later, but I was so infused by witnessing something that I'd witnessed a couple of seasons ago where there was so much more freedom in our play. Um, you know, we had Ruben out on left, who doesn't want to play left, but knew how to adapt and, and roam and, and, and be an extra body that people had to pick up and had to worry about. And I think that then gives license to the players around, the other creative players around, rather than being pigeonholed into certain positions. And the the Charlton game did that for me. Um, mm. 
you know, although you know we didn't score in the first half, but it was it was a it was a good, intentful performance. So that attacking vision that people wanted to see because we many say we didn't see it a lot last season um, looked very good. Millwall was tidy. Um, it was tidy because I thought Millwall were awful to start with. To be totally honest. Um, Yes, without fans, it makes it a really difficult London derby, doesn't it? Um, although they, they did seem to find our ankles quite a bit. Um, but yeah, yeah, you've got to take the positive. The, the, tomorrow's game should be a good test, Bromby, and that's kind of where you want to pitch yourself. You want to look at the foreign opposition that have got a little bit of status and background and see what we do there You know, against a side that will pose different kind of problems. My worry is that we haven't really been... Defensively, we haven't been tested at all. You know, and you don't want your first real defensive test to come in the first Premier League game. Yeah. You know, so that that's my only worry. Um, but listen, all good signs, all good signs, along with the signings, as we all obviously mention, um, good signs. Well, do you remember, Kevin, um, the start of last season, we were in, we were trying to work out who's going to play at centre-back. We had so many options. We felt overstacked at centre-back. Now, half of them are injured. Most of them have got one year left on their contract. And Kiate has been our, one of our main centre-backs in pre-season, although he does always do very well for us there. Should we be slightly worried about this then? And as Troy says, we haven't really been tested. Has, a year on from, from last summer, centre-back actually become a bit, of, a bit of a problem now? I can't remember anything before lockdown, to be perfectly honest. I, seriously, if, 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 there's, if, if, if there's such a thing as COVID amnesia, I think we've all got it. Um, the, I, what I do remember, though, I think I think Troy's point about the, the defence is a very sound one because you remember the, the, the last day of the season, virtually the last thing Roy said on camera on, on Match of the Day was, was talking about uh, injuries with the centre-backs and... I don't think it's any coincidence that we've got three of our centre-backs are over 30, so mm. they're, they're prone to injury. I mean, it's one of the areas, when we talk about transfers, it's been really exciting to see an injection of youth, but it's it, it's an area where we need youth, where we need change. I mean, we've got technically four good centre-backs, plus Kiyarty to cover, but I don't think there's ever been a time when all four have been available, and basically Roy's had to pick in the last... Since when the season restarted, Roy had to pick centre backs on the basis of who was available, not necessarily who mm. he wanted to to play with him. And, and I think we'd all we've all looked at other teams, and we'd we'd all think probably still that Cahill, even at his advanced age of thirty something, which is a strange thing to say, is probably the number one choice. But you'd like to see a mobile, younger centre back who can play a bit of football next to him, rather than whoever else is available basically and, and we saw mistakes from all the centre-backs in the last few games of the season so that that is an area and, and as Troy says you, you need them to be tested before the season starts and and I'm guessing Troy that, that centre-backs in particular need more games to settle in than than yeah. strikers and midfield players do I would have thought so already we've left it a little bit late the, you know, if we buy a centre-back tomorrow he's only got a week yeah, I mean, you see this argument. Sorry, Andrew, if you don't mind if I come back in again. You see this argument about experience. I've never had a problem with experience and as much experience as we got. You know, there is the need for younger blood and you do... We Everyone can identify that. I just think two experienced centre-halves in whatever guys they come in and, and I take Kev's point about we haven't been able to pick you know, the strongest period for a longer period, for enough period of time is important. But see, I like Coyote back there. Uh, Coyote mm. back there, I think he's, he's, he's polished. I think he plays out of defence as well, which is really good, which Gary Cahill obviously does for us. 
Um, Scott Dan has been a revelation. I'm sorry. I thought his days were numbered, to be totally honest. And I think he's come in and he's shown that, that you know, older head at important times as well. But Kev's right. We're, we're, we're an injury away again from creating a few issues. Martin Kelly has come back and looks to be fit and getting a bit of game time, but not a lot. But all of them are unfortunately susceptible to that knock. And when they all get knocks, it's never a week, is it? It's never two weeks. Mm. It's always mm. months, months. You know, yeah. James Tompkins, excellent, mm. excellent player. Love the lad. But, you know, the amount of times he's been out injured with no defined time for his return as well, mm. which is always a worry. Um, so, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm hearing rumours about a centre-back. Um, names I can't say, but not say. Probably can't pronounce. Sorry, not say. Um, <laughs> so we know where they're coming from. Um, but, yeah, we'll, 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 you know, keep our fingers crossed there. Well, I can I can say a name because I'm not connected to the club in any way. But in in the media, we've been linked with a young Armel Bella Kotchap, uh, who is a German centre. But he's only 18, so I'd imagine the sort of player that if we do get, will probably go out on loan. But Andy Troy made a point earlier, and 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 it links to centre backs as well. But Roy's been criticised a lot for not playing necessarily attractive football, but it invariably comes down to options that he has in the squad. And we'll, we'll talk about Eze as well. I might as well do it now. He's been the sort of player, having joined from QPR for, was it 12, 15, 18 million, depending on who you talk to, that Roy's needed for a long time. And it's going to be the same at centre-back as well. We're going to need to build up these options and give Roy more, more a chance to play a certain way, or even just to play the defensive way that he does, uh, with the right options. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I think it's probably two points I'd want to make on that. One, I think it's going to be an incredibly difficult season for all clubs with injuries, the, the games are going to be coming so thick and fast mm. and the physical loads on players are going to be so much greater than a usual season that um, I think Palace will be far from alone in having a significant number of players in a single position being subject to injuries at the same time. Um, the one thing I'd say defensively is, you know, we all know that Roy Hodgson is an excellent organiser and defensive coach um, the fact that Kiate has been able to switch so seamlessly back there is one testament to Kiate's ability, but two testament, I think, to the ability of Roy to get people to adhere to his defensive shape so well. And frankly, you know, I, I trust Roy to put JD at centre back for Palace and do a passable job. He's, he, he's just a very good organiser of, of men. In terms of going forward, though, obviously it's slightly less about organisation to a certain extent and more about having some individual flair, ability. Um, just something to open up opposition uh, defences. And we became, at times, in the eyes of some fans, a bit samey last season. And so having a different option that gives slightly different patterns of play that just excites the fans as well, frankly. Um, we A lot of us found, I think, last season quite hard going and saw fairly similar uh, lineups from an attacking perspective week on week. So to have something a bit different and to get the younger fans excited as well, and a, a player, I think, you know, just looks... Very much sort of quintessentially Palace, doesn't he? Uh, as a um, just in terms of how exciting he is, and the fact he's slightly rough around the edges still. The fact that he's raw seems like a really nice character and young man. Everything about him, I think, is just there to get the fans excited. So yeah, I mean, I, I'd hope that it's just going to be a lot more engaging from a fan perspective and an attacking sense this season. And we've seen signs of that in pre-season. Hopefully that continues into the season. JD, can I, I, I think we've been really critical on this pod, rightly so in the past, over our recruitment policy. And I think Eze is a, is a real coup for Palace. I mean, in, in, he was Sky's 
player of the season last season in the championship. He was a lot of other pundits player of the season. In seasons gone by, we wouldn't have got anywhere near a player like that, let alone attracted him to Sellers Park. But I'd like to ask Troy whether, I mean, this, we seem to be a change in policy, Troy, towards youth. I mean, we've been linked with the uh, Jamie Taylor, Flynn Downs, one's 18, one's 20. Do you think that's come from the, the football side, from Roy or, and or Doogie, or do you think that's come from Steve Parrish, who wants to bring in players with resale value? I think there's a there would have been a collective conversation there because, you know, I, I said a little bit earlier, I don't buy this old, old, old uh, situation that we've been talking about because the age of the players is, is, is the players that have, have consistently got us into very good positions in the league, mm. um, you know, record points totals, um, very, very good away days, by the way. Man United, Man City, Arsenal over the last couple of years. You, you, you can't be a, a poor side, a defensive side, to go to those places and win and get points. Yeah. Uh, yes, the frustration has predominantly been at home, hasn't it? You know, and, it, and it's how we approach things at home. But I think, like I said, uh, you know, we got Loftus-Cheek on loan and uh, everyone saw what he brought to the side. We failed to replace Loftus-Cheek, you know, in terms of a signing or a loan deal that was going to add the same value. We failed to replace Kabai in mm. any shape or form. And I'll say that publicly in any shape. But we failed to play, replace a player who could not only connect uh, our defence to midfield in a sense of being available, open, giving, providing the options, but also in then to be someone who connected the front line as well. This is why I see the Eze signing as, as important. And new. Eze was done a long time ago. Eze, in terms of getting into his head and, and getting Palace as a base, was done a long time ago. I had no fear that he wasn't going to come to Palace. Uh, same way with Ferguson. It was it was done. Yes, he couldn't sign in January, but I had no fear that a, a Ferguson-type player or Ferguson was going to come to Palace. So you could tell that during the course of last season, the thoughts for this season were already in the minds mm. of, of the board and were already in the minds of the manager as well. So this is that we are doing well at the right time, you know, Yes, the squad is aging. There's, there's no denying that. And, uh, you know, JD, you've said, you know, many, many are in the last year of their contracts as well. So that also led, led you to believe this is a good time to make the changes that the club is doing it, you know. And sometimes you can bring young players in and they fall down and they fail. And then what happens? The fan base has criticised them. The confidence of the young players goes really early. And all of a sudden, we're not talking about someone that's going to enhance and develop you know, in the side, and we're talking about, listen, Serloff's not young, but look what he's done on loan mm-hmm. in Turkey. Um, and now it seems that we're prepared to sell him for a very, very good profit, you know. So there is a balance to this, and there's a fine line to this. But the the, the dealings that have, since January, I think we've been spot on in what we've tried to do. And, and, uh, and no doubt it should be, you know, hopefully it will be an exciting season for us. Yeah, the club certainly seem to be addressing issues that we've talked about, and I'm sure other fans have as well, um, in WhatsApp groups and whatever. And I think it is really important that we don't put too much pressure on Eze. As you say, Troy, he is still young, and as Andy says, incredibly talented, but still quite raw and needs support, really, and time to step up to the Premier League and bed in. But what we've seen already, that I actually only watched the second half against Charlton, um, and he was, so I missed the first half, but apparently he was very, very good. Um, in that and what I like about Eze is when he joined he quoted Wilf and Yannick yeah. as two players that he watched when they were in the mm. championship what's that seven seven years ago and loved loved the, the way they played and 
I, th- I liked as well when he lined up on the left of the four against Charlton. It was that Ruben position, really, wasn't yeah. it? And, it? and he said yeah. when he joined as well, there were quotes saying that they've t- the reason I joined is they talked about my position. They talked about me drifting in off the line and, and moving and impacting players. All these things that we've wanted as Palace fans, and we really hope that he will have that impact, but we have to give him time. The other thing, and obviously he's a ball carrier as well, which is if, if you're playing your Selsie bingo at home, that is one to check off the card. But again, it is something that we've talked about on the pod that we need. The thing that I really liked, Kevin, is, and Andy alluded to this earlier, his, his, his interview, his first interview with Grio was, was lovely. He seems like a really sort of level-headed, down-to-earth guy. But the reaction from QPR fans mm. has been, across the board, incredible. They've all been... It, it reminded me of when Wilf went to Man United in 2013. He's just gone with the best wishes of everyone. They all mm. want to see him do well. They all think he's joined the right club. Maybe mm. not, not so with Wilf in 2013. <laughs> and I just think you, you get a measure of the man when you, from the reaction of the fans. And it's been so positive from them that it makes me feel positive about his impact and joining Palace. Well, I mean, that's really interesting because I think we probably all went onto QPR fan sites to see what they're saying about him. And as you say, it was 100% positive. But what's really exciting, and I know you've, you've been talking to one particular QPR fan, but what's really exciting is they can't seem to agree what his best position is. I mean, you, there are QPR fans who say he's, he's, a, he's a number 10 out and out. Some QPR fans say he's, he's, he's brilliant off the, as a second striker. One or two say he's brilliant as the sole striker. Others say he's brilliant coming in off the left and using his right foot. So we've clearly got here a player that can cover a lot of options that gives us a versatility going forward that we haven't had for quite some time. And also it's a, it's a testament to his character, I think, that no one's got a bad word to say about the the young man. And, and they're all talking about his brother as well, who's an 18-year-old at QPR. And they're quite philosophical about losing Eze because his brother's coming through and looks like he's going to be just as, just as good. So... That's what it comes back to what I said before about this being a coup for the amount of money we've spent on such a good, versatile player. It's such an unpalished signing, but it's an exciting one. Also, it gives me hope that Wilf's going to stay. I mean, Wilf's been starting the friendlies, it's been almost total radio silence on Wilf. And I think the one thing we all assumed when last season finished was that we wouldn't be talking about Wilf as a Palace player at this stage of the season and I, I, I'm hoping that Eze is one of the reasons that Wilf will be will be staying because it, it, it's going to give Wilf a new lease of life hopefully because he's going to get he's going to get the space he's not going to be the only one that's being marked now for, for the start of it it's going to be like the good old days when we had Yannick and Wilf hopefully and, and also Eze's I, I, I don't. This doesn't sound cynical when I say he's saying all the right things. I'm not saying he's been told to say the right things. He genuinely seems to be enthusiastic for many reasons about coming to Palace, and it's it's good to see somebody who really wants to play for your club. Because in the past, you sign players and they go, "Yeah, fine, I'm I'm a Palace player now. I'm a professional. I'll do what I have to do." But he clearly can't wait for the season to start. So I'm I haven't been as excited by a signing for a long time. I have to say since Jerry Murphy. Well, we didn't sign him. He came through the youth ranks, as you, know, as you should know, being the host of a Palace pod. But, you know, <laughs> obviously, oh, I, know, sure. I know I know, in, for you and Andy, there was no football before 1996. But, you know, no, I've scored no goal there, haven't I? Speaking of QPR fans, then, let's have a quick bit of audio from a friend of mine, his presenter for PremierLeague.com uh, and his big QPR fan called James Alcott. And we asked him for his thoughts on Eze joining Palace. And this is what he had to say. It's a little bit gutting, to be honest. Um, in terms of what he's going to offer Crystal Palace, um, I mean, first of all, in terms of getting your money's worth, he has been just 
everything to QPR. I know a lot of clubs feel that way about their team, that they have those mavericks, but QPR has had a long list of them and he's the latest in that line. And to lose a talent like that is really, really sad, but you're kind of wishing him well because of where he's come from and and maybe where he's heading because the elegance of the guy, the awareness, the intelligence of him in terms of when he gets the ball in crowded areas is something that I haven't really seen since Adele Tarat. So in terms of the position that he could play for Crystal Palace, I think it's going to be really interesting. And I think hopefully for those people who want Roy Hodgson to be a little bit more expressive, this is the kind of signing where you might see that. Um, he's best as a number 10. That's the first thing to say. Absolutely no doubt. Chucking him out on the left-hand side and hoping he's going to beat his man one-on-one is a is a useless... Um, it's a, it's not the right way to use a Bireze. He is better when he's surrounded. And when he's surrounded, he just has that awareness. He's able to get pictures. He's able to kind of be relaxed on the ball, freeze the players around him, and then able to turn and be progressive. You've seen that with the amount of dribbles that he has and how successful they are as well, uh, and the assists as well. He was a lightning rod for us whenever we needed someone just to take a second to keep the ball, but also, more importantly, get the ball in difficult areas for people to defend. So he is absolutely a number 10 absolutely if you play him on the left he's not gonna you're not gonna get the best out of him uh, in my opinion I think we saw that McLaren tried that at times um, but under Warburton he had a lot more freedom to go where he wanted a little bit just to pick up the ball in those areas of of space so that's what you're going to get in terms of what if you want to get the best out of Abirieze then that's what you need to do will Hodgson do that I don't think he's done that too often but if you look to play three in midfield maybe it's one of Kiate or MacArthur maybe one of those guys make way and, uh, and he plays in a more central area because his work rate has gone through the roof in the last year I think Warburton quite clearly said to him you are the talisman of this team but we need you to work backwards as well as forwards and I think that's an, actually a quite an underrated part of his game he does put the work in he is willing to make tackles and he won quite a few tackles for us uh, in sort of in good areas as well. And then once he gets the ball, he's able to uh, attack at pace. So defensively, Hodgson will be quite pleased with him. He seems like a really good lad who's you know was released by Arsenal, released by Millwall, and we picked him up because we saw how, how good he was going to be, and and gave him a chance to flourish. And he's done that now. Uh, he's a South London boy, so he's gonna he's gonna enjoy being at Crystal Palace. And I think with the likes of Townsend. Zaha, maybe concerning teams out wide, playing him through the middle will give you the kind of defensive solidity that you would want in terms of not playing two guys up front, but also the ability to be a bit of a fulcrum uh, in attacking midfield and to thread the needle a little bit more. Um, So yeah, cracking player. You're very, very lucky to have him. He will blow your mind with little moments of just just elegance and it's not laziness it's elegance is the word I would use so that's what you've got in a beer ASA you should be excited one thing I worry about with him is that lack of explosive pace um, but I think if he's used right this the other concern that I have is that he's playing in a very defensive team because you know look I get it when you go into the Premier, when you're in the Premier League you've got to kind of survive and you've got to be resolute which is what Hodgson's done so well so he's going to it's going to be a very different setup for him. But that was the kind of setup that we had with Steve McLaren and he had some really good patches in that as well. So the the stuff that you've seen on Twitter, that is real. He does do that in most games. Um, he does have off days as well. And there will be a few of those because he is still developing and learning. But 
the development that we've seen with him, you've always seen the talent there from that very first game where he actually played about five minutes and you were like, wow, who's this guy? And then he got taken off because he got injured through to his final game against West Brom where we've got a team that's really, really struggling, gets put through on goal and smashes it into the top left-hand corner against the team that is now playing in the Premier League. So he has the talent, he has the work rate, and uh, I think he'll do really well for you, and I hope he does. Well, thank you to James there, top man as ever. Um, Andy, the positioning thing is interesting, isn't it? Because I think when, you make the, when you're playing in a championship team, you're a player like Eze, then you probably have a bit more free reign and the te- team's built around you. You make the step up to Palace, you have to fit into a system that the manager plays or fit in with the players around you. But initially, in that 45 minutes against Charlton, it looks like he's able to do that. And as Kevin says... I, I think players do a, sorry teams do a lot of due diligence on players, and a lot of it comes down to personality. Mm. And if they know they're signing a player that has the personality that is open and, and ready to learn and free to learn how to play in new positions, that's almost as important as the talent you're buying. And it looks like Eze hopefully feels into that. I mean, I want to sort of not, not cross-compare him, but talk about him in comparison to, say, I don't know, another QPR player like Adel Tarat, who is fantastically talented, but wouldn't always necessarily apply himself in the same way or follow instructions in the same way. Eze, as you say, seems to be very open to uh, being part of uh, a system at Palace, being sort of adaptable. And it's all about options, isn't it? I mean, it's great to see us playing that sort of more narrow, uh, almost strikerless system that we had such success with, with Andros and Wolf about 18 months ago and seeing that again. But that's one of many options because you can't keep it the same uh, consistently in the Premier League because teams seem to find you out eventually. They, they go, well, we know how they're playing now. Um, we're going to adapt to that. Mm. We're going to stop them from scoring. And if you have that ability to find different shapes and have players who are willing to um, show the te- ta- t- uh, tactical flexibility to be able to follow the instructions in new shapes, then it, it can only bode well for us. You stop being predictable and you start being a bit more flexible. And um, that's really what you need in the Premier League. JD, can I, that, what you said there about personality is really interesting. I, I spoke to a, a chief scout last year who said that increasingly personality and character is the first thing they look for. Mm. And that they, they don't go looking for a, you know, we, we, we want a left winger who's, who can hit the ball with his right foot and is also defensively minded. Personality, character first of all. And then if they don't think his personality is right for the club, they don't pursue it. So I, I think that's a really interesting change. Uh, and, and I wonder if Troy would, would agree with that. Yeah, I, I do. I, I, I think that you still have to identify the, the qualities in the player mm. and then you match them uniquely and say, is that player going to be the right fit? You know, And the right fit is not just, like you say, Kev, on his ability. The right fit is so many different things now. Um, what you don't want to do is bring someone in that's going to upset the apple cart in a bad way you know, and, and, and then almost become resentful very, very quickly. With young players, and that's the thing, particularly players that haven't played in the Premier League, they're just out there to impress. You know, they want to absorb all the information they want, and then they want to go out and show people how they can play. I think as they will hit the ground running, to be totally honest, uh, Andy's right. It's going to be a tough season for everyone, and it may be a tough season for those who are finding the Premier League for the first time. But I think he'll hit the ground running, and I don't see any issues with the way that that lad will take information on and then will provide the quality that is needed, particularly in the final third. Um, we focus a lot on defensively in this country, don't we? And, and to be fair, I'm not even interested in that, in, in what he's going to produce. I think he'll do the stuff going backwards anyway, mm. but that's not where we should be judging him on. You know, mm. I think we get too 
too hooked up on judging players who have so much quality going forward on what are, oh, but aren't they doing, they're not doing a defensive part of the game. If we can get that formation, um, you know, and quality right, then uh, I'm not saying let's ignore it because there'll be times when we'll be under intense pressure, as we know. Um, but let's just look at the, the the things that he's doing going forward and what he can provide and hopefully the opportunities that will be created and finishing this year, um, you know, for a better season. Absolutely. Uh, and I have to say as well, I'm just as you're talking now, I'm thinking about characters Palace have signed over the last couple of years. It, it does seem like personality is, inter- is, is important to them because I can't really think of any sort of bad eggs they've signed. And actually, we do seem to have cultivated a squad of genuinely down-to-earth nice lads who sort of crack on and get on together so clearly it is an important part of the policy but anyway speaking of upsetting the apple cart we're going to take a break and come back and talk about palace's <laughs> new season ticket plans <laughs> ah. welcome back to the five-year plan podcast Hey, Apple Carts. <laughs> it's the Apple Cart section. Um, it's Pod Three Four Seven, sponsored this week by Oaks Estate Agents, your friendly, proven, trustworthy estate agent for Streatham and the surrounding areas. For more information, call o two o three nine seven three nine seven zero zero or email James at oaksestateagents.com and quote FYP to get a discount. Yeah, uh, can we crack on with this bit because James is coming round in ten minutes to value my house. <laughs> He's really good. Um, <laughs> don't forget to quote FYP for a discount. Um, <laughs> let's talk about Palace's. Such a pro. Such a pro. <laughs> let's talk about. Always on the cell. Uh, well, speaking of being on the cell, Andy, um, Palace have announced their membership plan, uh, as they're calling it, for 2021. Um, I have to admit, I'm a little bit confused by it all. O- obviously, every club at the moment is in a bit of a weird situation with season tickets and the fact that players can't uh, fans officially can't go to games at the moment and I believe Palace are sort of asking for a a down payment on a season ticket and then prices coming off per game and then that'll go towards the following season or something like that you're 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 probably the person that understands facts and figures more than anyone here can you describe Palace's plans for this in sort of layman's terms because I think quite a lot of fans are possibly quite confused by it as well I think that the easiest one to understand is the fact that it appears that if you have a medical need to do so, you can effectively reserve your seat, not for this season, which is 2020 to 21, but reserve your seat for 2021 to 22 for a payment of £200. And it seems from the information circulated by the box office that uh, a payment of that type and a reservation of that type will have to be supported by medical information to show why you're shielding. So that that's one element of it. And then the other element, is, as far as I understand it, is that for 2020 to 21, which is this coming season, effectively the club are just selling season tickets. And to the extent that you are not able to take up the full allocation of tickets that you would normally get under that season ticket, which in usual circumstances would be 19 games, you will get a pro rata refund that's then allocated to the following season. So say, for example because of the changes in circumstances, you get to 10 out of 19 games. That would mean that you had 10 nineteenths of the value of your season ticket. The remaining nine nineteenths that you didn't get value for would then be given as a credit against the following season. So that it would be deducted from the amount that you would usually pay for 21 to 22. Um, I think obviously the 
difficulty though right now is we don't know how many people will be allowed in the stadium. We don't know how long those restrictions will stay in place for and whether or not we're going to see a gradual increase in, in stadium numbers or a significant increase in stadium numbers. And it's also not at all clear yet what the broadcasting situation is for UK fans at present. Um, if you are a UK fan, you're in a very different position to overseas fans in that typically you'd be able to march along at 3pm to Selhurst Park to watch Palace versus Southampton. Um, currently, you won't be able to go into the ground and you also won't be able to watch online in any way that is legal. Um, and I think that situation is going to continue to be looked at. So that's another piece of missing information, which I think fans will probably want to know before they decide whether or not they want to commit the same spend that they usually would do to 2020 to 21. Now, the thing is, Kevin, Andy has delivered that uh, in quite a uh, sensible way, which makes me think that maybe Palace should employ Andy to do their messaging because that actually sounded quite <laughs> sensible. But I know fans are upset about it. It's not an ideal situation. Could Palace have possibly maybe delivered it in, in, in a better way than messaging? I, can Absolutely. I just put it out there? Can I just put it out there, first of all? The minute Andy spoke, I was lost. <laughs> and that's nothing to do with Andy, by the way. I, you're right, he delivered it well, but the delivery, I'm, I'm lost. I, 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 I haven't got a clue if we're, we're even in 2021. Is that the season we're in now? <laughs> also, he's got, he's got those beautiful brown eyes as well. You just <laughs> melt into them, don't you? Just, there's like big oh, brown swimming pools. Uh, there, there, there are two issues. Your, your point, uh, JD, is absolutely right. There are two issues here. First of all, communication. Uh, basically, I think the club have made a, a mess of communicating not only the plan, but also why they need the money, why they want people to pay in advance, because it, it may be that only 15% of our season ticket, our, our annual income is, is tickets, but that's in a normal year, and this is not a normal year. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the old days, Terry Byfield would have sent a letter to the Croydon Advertiser and then stuck some leaflets on a tree somewhere. Right? But in the old days, we had 10,000 people at home and 3,000 season ticket holders. Yeah. Now we're a massive organisation, and the bigger an organisation gets, the more unwieldy the communication gets. And what the club really failed to do, in two areas, they failed to say why we need the money. And we need the money because the Premier League took a massive hit having to rebate broadcasting companies Broadcasting money is going to go down this year. We've just seen you know, the, the deal with China has been cancelled, so the Premier League lost £500 million there. Our sponsorship money will be through the floor. Corporate hospitality has disappeared. Advertise, so all sorts of revenue streams have, have disappeared. And there, there are only five or six clubs in the Premier League in the country that are totally immune from this, if this goes on for a long time. And the club should have been honest and said, look, I know things are hard for, for a lot of you. Things are different, but this is why we want the money. This is this is going to help us plan for our survival if we've got money in the bank and we know it's coming in. Right? Secondly, the fairness of the scheme. I, I've been racking my brains. I can't think of any scheme that every fan would think was fair. I mean, Arsenal yeah. have just gone for the basically have just said the seven, te, the twelve thousand most expensive season tickets get first go, and Arsenal fans have gone that. I, I think the only the, the closest thing to fair would be to say the, the seven. If say we were allowed seven thousand people in Sellers. The closest thing to fair would be to say the 7,000 people who've had season tickets the longest. But then the person who's 7,000 first wouldn't think that was fair either. And it's, 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 we can't predict how many games there are going to be. That's the, that's the problem. Yeah. And you can't, you can't say, well, let's do it five games by five games. You, you just have to say to people, look, buy a season ticket and, and take a punt on how many games there will be. 
for all we know, there will be a second spike. I don't think there will be, but for all we know, there will be, and the season's cancelled. So there's an element of gamble for, for everything. But I think that the, the actual communication from the club was not maliciously, but just because we are, like I say, a big organisation now and, and there's a lot of corporate speaking. And I, I, I genuinely struggle to understand it, I'll be perfectly honest. I had to read it through seven or eight times. And there are other issues as well. I'm really, really concerned about the fact that if you buy a ticket on instalments, that's now for a credit company which in the past it was through the club, and I, I've, that, that worries me that there's going to be credit checks and you've got to pay interest. I'm not happy with that. The shielding thing, again, I, I, I understand why the club want people to pay money to do that, because if somebody takes their season ticket and then has to give it back next year, they're going to be upset. But the club in no way communicated why they felt that was the right thing to do. That's, that's my big issue with it, and that's why people are upset about it. I think, yeah, I think possibly that messaging is sort of misjudged. At best, to be yeah. the way to describe it. Would, would you, Kevin? Would you have done a lottery system? Is that a fair way of doing it? I don't know how, but is that is that a fair way? I just, like I just said, there's no there's no system that any club will come up with that every fan thinks is fair. It's it's every every option is going to be the least worst option, basically. Mm. And you know, the bigger the club, you know, Man United are a huge, huge club. Is it, they're going to be far more disappointed season ticket holders at Man United than at, than at Palace. I I just think that. As, if you buy a season ticket and you're relatively certain that you'll get as many A games as B games and that you get the same amount of games as everybody else, then I don't think people would accept that. It's just the way it was communicated that is the big issue. Yeah, and, and I think, I think yeah, the communication... Is as well. One is... Sorry, go on, Andy, go on. I was just going to say, I think there's two issues as well. One is the allocation of tickets. Who, who's going to get to go to these games that are coming up in the, sort of the next two to three months mm. and beyond? And how is that selected? I don't think that's at all clear. And then there's the other issue that Kevin's talking about, which is ticket revenue and trying to ensure there's not a massive hole there. Um, the first point, you know, I don't think it's at all clear yet how, where and when they're going to be allocated mm. in terms of the tickets. And then the second one, you know, if, if I do my online shopping and I pay 100 quid, I know exactly what groceries are coming for that 100 quid. If, if I pay my 100 quid and they say, well, we'll give you a, a defined amount of groceries that you don't know yet, but when they come, you know, we'll refund you for the amount that you don't have. As I know we don't like to think of ourselves as customers, but in that transaction, you're kind of then thinking, well, I don't know what I'm paying for yeah, here. Yeah. And I think that's where part of this is is causing some uh, anxiety for some fans because it's just all so uncertain. Being asked to commit a reasonable amount of money in that circumstance of uncertainty must be fairly unsettling for lots of people. Well, also, I can't quite work out whether if you've got two kids, for example, that all three of you are guaranteed to get a ticket for the same game. Because there's no nowhere does it make that clear. So again, that's another thing. Why are you going to commit to buying season tickets for your family if there's no absolute guarantee that you can all go together? I think I think both have said it much better than what I could. So I'm just going to add my two pennies worth, and then you can tell me to shut up afterwards. Um, we're in, we're in the same boat as everybody else, from what I understand, and it, and mm. even the communication side of it has not been great, even from the top clubs, you know. My, my son-in-law, you know, is, is a season ticket holder and he's been promised one in three games. But again, like you said, it, it, you don't know what games you're getting. So imagine if you go through the season and you're one in three and you don't get any of the A-list game. Mm. You know, that uh, I'm not being disrespectful to any other club here, but those are the games that you, you'd want to at least have, I don't know, two, three of those games in your package. And then the other thing for me is that in this difficult time for everybody... Mm to pay money and then not receive money back. So let's yeah. say it doesn't work for you and to pay money and not receive money back. So it goes on to next year's bill is 
I, I don't know. I don't see again if if I'm paying money out, I, I, and I and I don't get what I want. I'd rather have my money back so I can make a decision mm. again yeah. when a season ticket sales come back in for the following season. I, I, it, it is a mess, but it's a mess. Every club is is delivering the mess in the same way, and I suppose I've seen a lot of the the, the uproar on on social media. But I, I don't know. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure how we're going to get to the bottom of it. I mean, hopefully the games, the fans are back during mid-October. Uh, apparently that's the case. And then also there's apparently a decision next week as to whether, uh, what is it, 150, 60 games that are not yeah. scheduled at the moment, you know, we'll find out. But even that's very late, isn't it? Season yeah. starts on Saturday, yeah. you know. So I just think football doesn't handle these things very, very well in terms of, take Andy's point, we're the consumers, you know, we're the people that pay the money, you know, and if I'm paying good money for apples, pears, bananas, I want my apples, pears and bananas <laughs> to be the best, you know. Um, I just chose those because I didn't know what else to pick and I wanted to beat them. To pick them. I, I have my five a day, you know. <laughs> it's very important. It's very important. It's a really good point. And that uncertainty from both sides, not just that the, that the games will go ahead, that we might have a second wave, that fans will be allowed in and then not. But people's personal situations are really uncertain. Some people right mm. now who maybe have a, have work might not know in a year if they still have that work because their mm. work situation might change because of the pandemic. Yeah. And a lot of people have had a really, really tough struggle this year, being furloughed, not being furloughed. And everyone's mm. situation is probably precarious. So some people are not in a position to even make that commitment, Troy, as you say, let alone not yeah. getting that money back. So it is, it is... But I think it's important, JD, sorry to interrupt, that, uh, again, I don't think this is out of, out of malice. This is a situation that nobody could have predicted. Yeah. No, nobody knows how long it's going to last. It's, it's, it's really difficult to, to plan for this sort of thing. I, I think the issue is it's, you have to acknowledge as well that Palace spent a lot of money during the summer doing really good stuff for the community. They tried to keep as many staff on full wages as, as possible. This, this is not a, a, an evil capitalist club. This is not an evil capitalist plot to relieve us of our money. It's a club that has the best interest, I think, of the fans at heart, but has made a complete dog's dinner of, of communicating that, or even acknowledging, as you just said, that it, it would have been nice if the first part of the... the the season two application thing said, we know times are hard. We know this is going to be yeah. difficult financial yeah. decisions for you all. You're struggling. We're struggling in a different way, but we know people mm. can't can't plan mm. ahead as well. And mm. then off the back of that, you'd go, well, great. They've acknowledged our situation. Now let's look at how, uh, which scenario fits fits well for me and my family. But, you know, I think they customers is a word they probably use now, unfortunately, because you bring people in that... Yeah, you know, we've had Phil Alexander at the club for ages. Who's, who's been, done nothing but football? But then you bring new people in from other businesses who don't realise how different football is. That, you, that we're not customers; we're fans. But to them, we are, and to them, they just look at numbers on on a on a spreadsheet. They don't look at individual situations, and that's an unfortunate side effect of the fact that we're now an established Premier League club with a with a global support. But I think it's. I don't think we should think it's deliberate on the club's part. It's just poorly handled, mm. essentially. And and it, it, you can't blame them. No, who would have Who would have planned for this? Even you know, Arsenal fans are upset about their allocation. Chelsea fans are upset about theirs. Like I say, it's a it's a difficult situation. Which the, the but, scheme but itself guess, is. The, you know, the thing is, clubs like Chelsea, Arsenal, are they concerned because they're making still making multi million dollar uh, signings? You know, we're supposed to be in a period of time when. You know, yeah, let's yeah. let's be a little bit critical here because clubs who were furloughing staff, who were saying, "Can you cut your percentages?" and 
you know, you need to Tottenham, dob yeah. your wages in, yeah. all of a sudden are spending the same money that they were spending mm. before on transfers. Yeah. Because they see the bigger pot later of of getting back into the Champions League and, and hopefully the money that will bring. So, you know, whilst there is sympathy with clubs in a general, they're also, you know, they're, they're doing what they were doing before the pandemic. Mm. Well, the, the big clubs are anyway. They're mm. making those massive signings. And this is why, and I know this is slightly different, this is why I was so pleased when the vote for the amount of subs remained yeah. at free. So, and then the big clubs went again and they had to vote again and it still remained at free. Five does, although five subs is good for, you know, giving people game time and that, you know who benefits from it most. You know, if you can bring on a, uh, let, let's take a, a Chelsea situation, if, if you don't mind, a Callan Hudson, a Doyle, a Tammy Abraham, uh, Mason Mount, because they're not playing anymore because the big signings that, that they've got are now playing, but you can bring them on in the same way that you can do the Man United. So I know I've transgressed a little bit there, but it's all part of the same picture for yeah. me. You know, and it's- well, it, it also, Troy, clubs like Chelsea and Arsenal and Man United are more confident than Palace are because they know for every, for every Chelsea yeah. fan that's upset by this and doesn't want to get a season ticket, there's 40 people yeah. who will take that season ticket yeah. for them. Yeah. Palace haven't got that situation. I mean, you, you know, but I still think Palace would probably be confident enough to think, well... Okay, we'll still sell seven thousand season tickets without without even trying, and they and they probably will because, in the end, people are upset, but their desire to come back to Sellers Park, and see their mates yeah. or some of them yeah. and go to the pub yeah. outweighs the upset. Yeah. And, and let's be fair, barely a season goes by without us talking in the first week about some season ticket fiasco or other. I mean, we, we've not been brilliant in, in times when there hasn't been a pandemic, so it's not it's not a surprise that it hasn't been particularly well handled. But again. I don't think it's deliberately badly handled. It's just they've just done it wrong. They've just had yeah. a tin ear about the whole some, thing. Some Kevin would say that getting the message slightly wrong is dot 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 typical palace. Typical palace. Typical palace. <laughs> <laughs> I've got two. I've got two things I'm slightly surprised by JD and all of this, and it's a sort of league level. The reason Project Restart worked quite so well is because all the clubs decided between them upon protocols, procedures, all sorts yeah. of things that would be harmonised across all of the clubs and be in the interests of, of the league as a whole. I get that ticketing is a commercial decision that's going to be particular to a particular club, but I do wonder whether, given the extraordinary circumstances of this season, the league could have come together as a set of clubs yeah. and voted upon, at the very least, some recommendations yeah. about how yeah. allocation, season tickets yeah. and all those things should be handled. And people would say, well, that's a club-level decision. Away ticket pricing used to be a club level yeah. decision, and the clubs between them decided to uh, determine and vote upon the fact that there's now a thirty pound cap, which I think is a good decision. Yeah. There's no, there, there would be nothing to stop them deciding that they would be bound by that sort of decision on season tickets and allocation just for this coming season. I don't see why they didn't. And I'm quite surprised that they haven't. It's no surprise that there's such a dog's dinner at so many clubs when they haven't really bounced this idea that the, the ideas off one another. And then the second thing that I'm quite surprised about is that. The clubs, the league and the broadcasters didn't look at what was coming down the track and see that it would cause such an uproar. If you are a domestic fan who typically goes to matches and does not want to illegally stream, there are plenty of people who don't want to, Mm. uh, that those people would not be able to see their team play in any legal means. And that was obviously going to be a a PR disaster. And the two things do intersect. I know that we would say, well, given the choice, we want to be at the match rather than watching the match on TV. But if we can't go to the match because there are restrictions stopping us from doing so, then lots of people do want to watch it on TV. Yeah. And I'm surprised that they've not realised that that fits into the bigger picture to the extent that a decision needed to be made. As Troy says, we're now 
days away from the start of the season. And I don't currently know whether or not I'll be able to leave the watch Palace versus Southampton because the broadcasters, the league and the clubs haven't yet knocked their heads together and decided what the best route is. You've got the government lobbying the league at, at present, the league in correspondence and contact with the broadcasters to try and get a solution. And they should have, this, this could have been easily anticipated. Andy, 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 there's a little bit that I'm not having and it's that they didn't have discussions around this. They, they, you know, when you're striking that TV deal, when you're, when you're, you know, knowing that we're still in this period of time where not everyone can go and watch their team, you very well know that there's going to be uproar when you announce the fixtures and there's only three games that, that are not being covered. You know that. Yeah. You know that. It's almost, it's almost like you're, you're preparing yourself for the backlash whilst ignoring that the backlash is going to come. Hmm. You know, and, and <laughs> I, I, that's just, that's just, I don't know. It's crazy. And then to, to make that decision. Whenever it is going to be next week, there's either going to be more backlash because they say, well, absolutely, we still can't put those games on, which they're prepared for, by the way, because they just shut the door, you know, bolt it and, and don't give a shit. Am I allowed to say shit? Yeah. On the Palace podcast, it's impossible yeah, yeah. to get through it without using that word. <laughs> I'm amazed you haven't said it before. <laughs> or, or, you know, in the end, come Wednesday, Thursday, we're all going, well, at least we can watch the game. Hmm. You know, but that's that's not right. And I, I thought that football, as a as a the industry, was going to treat the fans better. Yeah, I absolutely thought that. You know, once you realised that fans were no longer in stadiums, we were going to treat fans better. Communication was going to be better, knowing that still you're never going to keep everybody happy. But at least you know we were going to be try our damnedest. To, and I keep saying we, but. Um, I'm not part of the decision making process, by the way. So, but you know, we were going to we were going to communicate better to fans all across the board. I'd I'd be amazed if the, by Wednesday the Premier League haven't changed their mind, and I think the, at least the first six games will all be televised. But Andy, I've got a tip: if you are worried about watching it illegally, go to the Porsons Arms at three o'clock. If the curtains are drawn, I think you'll be able to watch the game. <laughs> uh, I think we're legally we can say that we'll leave it in anyway um, especially you're making great points especially given how successful the TV coverage was during Project Restart yeah. and everyone you know thought it worked quite well um, I've got one quick question on this from a Jamie Penston Raja who says hi Jamie hi Jamie for the first time I was in a position to and decided to buy my first full season ticket the week before oh, Covid Jamie. became a big thing oh. and football oh, was cancelled wow. is it my fault and am I doomed to never hold a season ticket. <laughs> yes, you're, let's, let's be controversial and say, yeah, it's Jamie's fault. <laughs> Everything, it's all Jamie's fault. You wanted an answer? Yeah, well, yeah, it's your fault, Jamie. In, what in are many you ways, doing, man? typical Jamie. <laughs> um, I take it you guys know Jamie, yeah, yeah or not? I have met Jamie. Yeah, yeah he actually did one of the yeah, patron yeah. quizzes, and um, he's a very, very yeah. nice guy. Oh, so. I feel, Jamie, I feel for you, even if those guys don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, we'll see by the next time we pod, uh, maybe if there has been any change on the on the, the season ticket plans or TV stuff. I think it's going to be one of those ever-evolving things. Um, Troy, you and I spoke before the pod um, about the latest yes. Kick It Out report. Um, <laughs> you're puffing your cheeks because we know it's not good reporting. Last time when you came on, was we were talking about the Black Lives Matter movement and, and, and that yep. entwining in football, and it was quite a powerful time wasn't it then the, the players doing the kneeling and the protests and stuff it was it was good talk us through this report at the moment because i know it's not particularly um positive news is it it's not positive news um if i just give you some some stats um and you can tell that i've i've, 
I was going to say I've got them mentally imprinted in my brain because I did a whole day of interviews yesterday. But I'm still going to make sure I look at my stat sheet just to make sure I get it right. Um, 42% of, of reports on discrimination, so an increase of 42% of reports of discrimination from last season. 53 increase on racial abuse. Uh, 96% increase on reports of discrimination based on sexual orientation. Uh, we also did a, a YouGov poll uh, with a thousand plus fans, uh, just to give us some some more background and information. So we've done that recently, and 39% have witnessed discrimination in the past year, past season. Uh, 77% have seen racial abuse aimed uh, at a footballer on social media. I'm surprised that's so low. Mm-hmm. Um, 32% have seen homophobic abuse. Um, when I say this to you, don't take this the wrong way. I'm not surprised by the figures at all. Um, and ours is only a snapshot of what happens out there, you know. So we will get reports, the FA will get reports, Premier League will get reports, the fan groups will get reports, you know, likes of football versus homophobia, women in football, they will all get reports as well. So we actually don't know the real picture of the the disgraceful situations that happen, you know, out in the public domain or, or you know, on social media, etc. But what we're trying to do is provide people with that, with that ounce of knowledge to say that we're still in a very, very tough situation. Um, it's, it's worrying, but it's been the same for the past seven, eight years. We put our stats out, we do a day of interviews and everyone says happy days and then nothing, you know, I don't see, I don't see the game taking it and going, we've got really got some hard work to do here. Do you know what I mean? And, and uh, it, it, I just find it incredible that as the, the organisation that has probably the biggest uh, reporting um, tool in terms of our app, etc., that at the time that we're doing interviews, the Premier League are not making a statement or the EFL are not yeah. making a statement or the FA are not making a statement, you know? So that's the picture. I think people forgot, forgot that there was football before March. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Kevin here because he said that he, he can't remember anything from March backwards. Um, but there were some pretty horrendous situations last season. Mm. You know, let me just let me just give you an example. Uh, Tom Loizu, manager of Harringay Borough, pulling his team off a football pitch in an FA Cup side, by the way. Yeah. You know that biggest, oldest competition in the world? Um, because his team were being racially abused. Uh, I have to say alleged because I still don't believe there's been an outcome to that game back in October. The Manchester derby. Tottenham, Chelsea, uh, the Rudiger situation, England out in Bulgaria. If you want to go abroad, we can talk about Lukaku, Balotelli, high-profile yeah. situations in Holland. Um, and, and it's easy for me to reel those off my tongue. Mm. It's just, you know, it's just first game of the season. Cyrus Christie's sister, Cyrus Christie of Fulham now in the Premier League, was, was hit and subject to racial abuse in, in, in the, near the, near the board sec, boardroom section. Um, and, and I just... I just don't think people take it seriously now. I don't. I don't think the game and people around the game. There's always seems to be an excuse. There's always seems to be someone saying something that that you just think to yourself, "Can you not take these things seriously and realise that we have an issue?" You know. And and since March, obviously, the pandemic has come into play, and then we've had the situation around Black Lives Matter, which we spoke about, you know, intensely last time. Since then, there's been other situations, you know, the recent shooting of Jacob Blake, you know, in the back has now led to the American sports stars saying, we're not playing. Mm. We're not playing. We're going to we're going to make a stand. You know, we're 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 going to talk about the social injustices that continue to happen. And we want action. 
And I think until football decides that let's stop paying lip service, let's stop putting out bland statements or posting Black Lives Matter uh, uh, posts or sleeves or, you know, then uh, and we see absolute action, then the things that are happening at the moment up and down the country and around the world are going to remain. And I'll put stats, we'll put stats out again next season and they'll be the same. And I'll come on the pod and you say to me, Troy, things haven't changed. And, and I'll just say the same things because I've been saying the same things for far too many years now. I don't know, Troy, did you the reaction, you talk about black players in America refusing to play, uh, the team Rail Salt Lake City yeah. refused to play and their their owner took that as a personal insult. Yeah threatened redundancies you know, said that they, they'd stabbed him in the back stabbed the team in the back stabbed the state in the back to the extent that the MLS said mate you better sell the club you'd better apologise but you compare that to, to, to cricket this week where we saw when was, you know the, the, the two English players of, of Asian origin who, yeah. who revealed uh, discrimination and abuse against them and immediately ECB went, were, were there to condemn it immediately Owen Morgan their captain made a very powerful speech live on TV to condemn it which is the very least you expect uh, it's but it's what we're not getting from the football authorities. And also, because they're still hiding behind this thing, they say, well, the, the reason more that the, these figures are going up is because people are more confident to report them now, as though that's, that's, a, as though that's a good thing. Well, that's what they say. So well, it's, it's almost like this is a good sign. People are more confident yeah, to reveal it. I said that yeah. about four years ago. I yeah. said when our stats went up about four years ago, I'm actually pleased because the confidence is there to report. You can't say that year on year. No. You can't say the same no. thing year on year. And by the way, the... I'm going to be a little bit, when you say about what happened at Yorkshire and, and, you know, the ECB were very quick to come out. Something about me says, you had a lad there inside that cricket club and people must have been condoning the behaviour towards him. Mm. People must have been witnessing what was going on, the treatment that he was receiving and have not acknowledged it or maybe have seen a lot of that treatment. You know, this funny word, this word that we always use as banter. Mm. so whilst yeah I do applaud you have to applaud acknowledgement I read the statement statement seems a bit wishy-washy to me if you want me to be honest Kev I've mm. read those statements before and, and then I kind of say well uh, are you culpable as well do you know what I mean mm. um, but that you know maybe that's me and maybe I've got a negative mind all the time that kind of says to me well you should have flagged it up not the player flagging it up as such you know and, and if you're part of a team structure and in an environment surely someone else must have witnessed what was going on with you, that young lad, you know, or, or he's walking in and he's, he's not buzzing. He's not, you know, there's something wrong. Did anyone ask him the question? Yeah. Are you okay? Yeah. yeah, yeah. That, those are the things because, you know, being discriminated against has mental health attachments to it. And I'm sorry. I think they're out in the open now. I think we're, we're, we're talking more around mental health. I'm so proud of any player, any person, I don't care what color they are that talks about the discrimination that happens to them and, and are providing now the the strength to do it as well. It takes unbelievable strength to speak out, mm. particularly about, you know, I don't even know that owner's name, Kev, but I saw the story and, and that's the kind of things we need to change. You know, that's the things that we need to, to, to stamp out of the game. Mm. And then there needs to be this self-reflection from many. And, and whilst people may have not, listen, three of us in here, I'm, I'm the only black guy here. I've had experiences that are different to yours. I don't expect you to understand, or sorry, to have felt my experiences, but all I would ask is that you understand my experiences rather than make an excuse for my experiences. 
And I know I'm talking to people who, who, as I see you nodding your heads, will go, yeah, Troy, we get it. You know, allies, you know, people who are not just happy to say, I'm not racist, but are happy to do something about it. You know what I mean? To learn, to want, to want to understand and appreciate and and help and support. Um, And I, I don't think that's too much to ask for. From the world as, as as the world that we live in. So when- I was doing some some research for it recently for a, a history project thing, and I came across this guy called Tony Collins. He was yeah. manager, he was black, his first black manager. Yeah. He was manager of Rochdale. He took him to the League Cup final in 1962. Yeah. Was yeah. Palace's first black player. Was born in Notting Hill. Was Palace youth team player. Played a couple of games here. Went up to Rochdale as player manager. Became manager. Got him to the League Cup final. I'd never heard of him. Right. I'd never Can, heard of him, and Can, I know I know, thing. I know football inside out. I'd never heard of, him. and if I've not heard of him, why why are we not talking about him in history? Though? Why are we not talking about Kev, this told? is the thing? This yeah. is the thing about history that has black people attached to it. We don't hear those stories. Oh. You know, we hear the stories of slavery. So anyone that you know, oh yeah, I knew that you know there was slavery, in that, but we don't hear the stories of people who, you know, have been the first of this or the first mm. of that, and then you recognize, oh, they're black. You know, yes, we're hearing Walter Toll now, and that's been over the last few years. Tony Collins has been over the few years. Jack Lester. But them stories, Leslie, sorry, them stories, they're part of a history that is a footballing history. Mm. And their story should be as prominent as any footballing story, you know, particularly when, like you just say, Kev, he was the first. Do you know what I mean? But we seem to confine those, or we get a, a, a moment in October, you know, the very famous Black History Month, and we throw all the black history into that month, and then the minute it gets to 30, is it 31 days in October? Or 30, yeah, yeah, 31 days in October, we, we decide that, well, that's enough now. Let's get back to our norm. And I'm not saying it's everybody. I, I say we, and I get criticised. Like, Troy, you said we. That means all of us. I don't I don't mean we. You know where I'm coming from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And honestly, sometimes I, I I get depressed about it. I, I can't be. I can't deny. I get depressed. I get low. I get. Are we ever going to see something that's slightly different that means that I, as a black man, can talk freely without fear, or you know, I can work in an industry without knowing that I'm different to everybody else? You know, that, that's that's all people want. They just want a little bit of equality and whatever that means and brings. But and and as you're talking, I'm realizing that. Yes, we had the kneeling in, in um, before games uh, in Project Restart. We had Ben Mee in his post-match press conference talking about the banner being flown over the Etihad. But it takes more than that. It's more than just it's more than black squares on social media platforms. It's more than one month. Like it's it's all these things coming together. It is learning about prominent black players from the fifties and sixties. It is is it even bigger gestures like Premier League teams refusing to play like American teams. Uh, but I, I guess it's not just even that. It's everything all coming together, isn't it? And and it's consistent. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's the, it's the game coming together like it's never done before to promote the message, to promote action, to, to be judged on the action that it, that it's, that it's finally going to do. Um, and listen, in doing that, you're going to upset people again. I know the knee upset people, you know, I know it did. So if fans are coming back and players are still kneeling, what response is there going to be? What reaction mm. is there going to be? You know, I don't think the Black Lives Matter logo will be on the shirts, but there'll be the option there to kneel again. And that's when you'll find the true fans. You mentioned Ben Mee. So, you know, Man City, Burnley, that plane flew over the Etihad, you know, White Lives Matter. 
that was in direct, you know, direct. That's two fingers. That's up yours with that Black Lives Matter shit. Mm. So, you know, when we do come back and, uh, you know, because every, every club has got funny fans, you know. So if, if the players do take the knee, what will be the reaction? What will be the response? You know, we'll soon be able to gauge and, and know how much more we still got to do. But listen, it's, it's a worrying time in society at the moment. There's things going on at the moment that you just think to yourself, God, Struth, are we back there? But uh, we, we have to be collective in our message and in our approach and, and in our understanding. And, and hopefully there will be better, brighter days ahead. Troy, are there any sort of specific actions you'd be wanting clubs or league level authorities to be taking on these issues? I mean, obviously, we quite often see uh, things around messaging, but are there sort of specific things that you would want to see in terms of sanctions against fans who transgress? Or, or what do you think can really make a difference? I tell you, we've seen we've seen a few fans uh, last season. There were uh, there were convictions, um, you know, with the option of coming back. You know, if you've done X, Y, and Z, then I think it's important that once someone has transgressed, we do provide that option if they've learned a lesson to come back and be part of their fan base. You know, Man City fans racially abusing Raheem Sterling. I mean, think of that. You know. Um, Andrew Scott racially abused first game of the season. Uh, Everton, Everton fan, you know, come down and, and I didn't know nothing about it until I got a message from a, a journalist that said the fans going to court in January. Um, I want those people held to account. I want them named and shamed. I want, you know, because ultimately the things that they're doing, these are, these are fathers. These are our grandfathers. These are our supposedly respected people in their communities, I would imagine, you know, and they take to a game and, and find it, easy to racially abuse someone because of the colour of their skin. I want football to be more proactive. There was a situation last season where Casillas, the Leeds goalkeeper, uh, racially abused Jonathan Lecker. It took six months to get mm. to a decision that then was an eight-match ban. Let's be serious. In any ordinary season, that eight-match ban can finish within three weeks, mm. a month. Yeah. Didn't have really any impact on Leeds United Football Club. Leeds tried to defend Casillas all the way and apparently gave some information that was obstructive to the to the case why are the club not facing you know sanctions as well for defending their player and for not providing the right and relevant information during that that court hearing and it is a court hearing so why are the clubs not facing sanctions as well because they are responsible just as much as the goalkeeper in their defense of him and then providing information that was probably there to 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 lean in their favor so Apparently, the, san- the sanctions for next season have been increased up to 12 games, or can be, up to a maximum of 12 games. But think about this. In an FA case of law, they found Casillas guilty and gave him an eight-match ban. So the panel, which is an FA panel, and then the FA said, well, no, we want it increased to 10 matches. And the own pa- their own panel said, no, eight is enough. Mm. I can't get my head around that. So... I would like players to be fined, banned, until further notice. And until further notice is, you put serious certain stipulations in place, which include education, which include you've defended yourself from saying the N-word. We now know that you actually said it. We want to know, you know, X, Y, and Z about why you said it. And have you learned anything during this period of time? If you haven't learned nothing, then I'm sorry, we're not going to lift this ban. You'll go through an educational process and you'll go through a situation where, you know, you're absolutely detached from your football club. We need to now hold people. If you can imprison someone for racially abusing a player, 
well, I'm sorry, that player should have football prison. Yeah. Until further notice. Well, and then, That's one of the things I'd like to see. And at one point, I think he was pictured in a Black Lives Matter shirt towards the end of the season or, or involved oh, yeah. in some messaging from the club, and it was a bit like, oh, f*** off. Um, <laughs> okay. I better hold my tongue. Yes, I better no, hold my that's tongue. Fair. That's fair. <laughs> I think that's the first time I've heard you swear on the pod, JD. <laughs> <laughs> but it shows how important it is. So if if you get if yeah. if it's strong enough to get JD swearing, I mean from the mean streets of Edenbridge, then <laughs> that's how important it is. To be honest, I haven't heard the mean streets of Edenbridge mentioned in a long time. <laughs> All right, Troy, thank you very much for coming on and discussing uh, that with us. We appreciate it. Um, we're not going to have time for questions this week, so I apologise to our listeners. But we are doing. I am doing an Atleti pod with Dom, Ed, and Matt at the start of next week. So we will put your questions to those guys. But after the break, we're going to do a very quick uh, season preview. Welcome back to the Five Year Plan podcast. Hey. Pre-season hey. pod, pod three, hey, four, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> pod three, four, seven. <laughs> Sponsored this week by Oaks Estate Agents, your friendly, proven, trustworthy estate agents for Streatham and the surrounding areas. For more information, call 020-3973-9700 or email james at oaksestateagents.com and quote FYP to get a discount. Uh, right, guys, I'm going to put... Four. Can I just say that I, I've just looked at my emails and I've got one through about membership from Crystal Palace. Sorry, I just wanted to throw that out there. Oh, okay. Well. <laughs> membership now on sale. Good. Okay. <laughs> I was about to ask, how confusing is the email? But you know what? We haven't got time. <laughs> right, guys. Uh, really quick. I'm going to go to you each really quickly and let's see if we can do a, a few predictions for this season. And we'll, we'll revisit them at the end of the season and see how close we were. Troy, I'll come to you first. Who's going to oh. be top goal scorer? For Palace this season. For who? For Palace? Yeah. God, that's, is that the hardest one? Mm. Um, can I choose a centre-back? That's very Palace. Um, depending on shape, how we play, whatever. I still see Io having bundles of goals in him, so I'll stick with probably the... With Io, unless we sign another striker. Mm. I think that'll be my answer so, as well. The Ab- the other one will be anonymous. <laughs> um, I think I can see IU getting quite a few goals this season. Kevin? Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say Sorlock. Oh, <laughs> you are so cheeky. Um, well, again, my answer is the same as Troy. I hope The answer really is an unknown player we haven't signed yet, hopefully. Yeah. All right, hopefully. Andy? Yeah. I can't believe Kevin started drinking so early in the day, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> I know you said he'd been drinking quite a lot during lockdown, but this is uh, quite remarkable. Uh, of the players we've currently got available, I, you, I, you know, I'm going to go. I'm going to go somewhere different. I'm going to say Wilf. Well, that'd be nice. That'd be very yeah. good to see Wilf bag some goals. Um, Andy, go for you here with this one. Who's going to be Player of the Year? <laughs> oh gosh, he's um, rubbing his hands with glee. No, no, I'm not rubbing it with glee. I'm rubbing it with being put on the spot and wishing that I thought about this a bit more in advance. Uh, I am going to go with Vicente Guaita because he should have won it last season. It's a good Ooh. shout. Good shout, Kevin. Well, how can the top scorer not be player of the season? So, Sorlock. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Kevin's right. The top, the top scorer will inevitably get it. You, you yeah. rarely ever give it to goalkeepers who aren't genius for only. So I'm just well, having, having said that, I, I do have a theory when you... When you uh, 
in your usual way when you gave us seven minutes preparation for this question before the pod started. <laughs> I actually think this might be the season that Kiati. It, I, I've got a feeling that Kiati might be first choice centre back at the start of the season, and I, I think he's a player that we haven't seen the very best of yet. And I'm, I've got a feeling that if he settles into that position as a as a footballing centre back, it could be somebody like Kiati. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Kiati actually, especially his versatility. Yeah. So, so am I. So am I. I. I don't think we've got a fan base that appreciates his attributes, to be totally mm, honest, yeah. and what he brings to the team. I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, I'm going to go Eze um, because I just think it will be someone who. We attract ourselves to very easily. He'll be easy on the eye. I think he'll get a good amount of assists. I hope he adds some goals to that as well. And I think when you balance those up, uh, we've been waiting for someone like him. Um, so I think he'll be, he'll be, he'll definitely be up there and Mr. Anonymous as well. <laughs> this Mr. Anonymous is going to have a great season. Um, I'm going to go for Eze as well. I'm really excited by his signing and I think he's going to be, uh, I think it's going to be a game changer for us. Um, I do have one extra uh, category, which is who will be manager at the end of the season, but I'm not going to go there. I'm just going to go to the final one, which is um, Troy, where will Palace finish next season? Shouldn't Kevin start first? I started first. Well, he Andy can't say Saul off for this one. I don't want Kevin to answer <laughs> yeah, first because so. he's already given two ridiculously outlandish answers okay. with Serlo um, and then Keanu's player of the season. <laughs> I desperately want us to break into the top 10. I think if we managed, if the season hadn't shut down in the manner that it did, I think we would have been really competitive. I'm not saying we would have made 7th, 8th for Europe, but I think we would have remained competitive. We didn't come back very well. So there... Um, it's going to be a tough season. Oh, oh, if I say 10th to 12th, are people going to have a go at me? No. <laughs> no. Only Kevin. Well, we, we've already seen how optimistic you are by thinking that JD might have a plan in who goes first on any given category. <laughs> you sitting there thinking, well, actually, he went first then, so he must be... Yeah. My t- You've he must been be on the club long enough now, Troy. Come on. Yeah, you don't. I, 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 I'm going to go 10th to 12th and hope that, that, that my, my, my prediction is ridiculous and that we finish higher. But with good, uh, with a good points hole, hole. Yeah. Kevin, I haven't used the, I haven't used the phrase typical Palace myself for some time. But it would be typical Palace if we start playing some really attractive football and end up seventeenth, basically. But I don't think that's. I generally feel, uh, for the first time in a long time, just football wise, I've I feel generally optimistic, and I think with the the hints about other players still to come. I'd, I would attempt. I'm, I'm with that. I'm, I've got a feeling we won't. Famous last words that we won't struggle this season. I think we. I think we've got a good season ahead. Generally, but Kev, don't we open up like that all the time? Oh, we won't struggle this season. But yeah, fair we're point. not. We're yeah. not ready to struggle. I don't, I don't think. No, no, anyway. no, no, it's a good point. Good, yeah. yeah. Well, last season we yeah, actually yeah. were safe. The earliest we've ever been in the Premier yeah, no, League, and that is with yeah. a team that had a lot of injuries. Um, Andy. You see, my favourite time of the season is first day of the season because no matter, even if you don't support uh, the world's greatest football team like Palace, you just all filled with optimism, aren't you? And I'm, I'm currently filled with that level of optimism. And also, I think it would be typical Palace if we have our best ever season when no one can be there to see it. So I'm <laughs> going to go with eight. Eight! Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. yeah. Wow. All right, well, first day, of the, first day of the season is brilliant because alphabetically we're top six. There we go. <laughs> Very true. It's only when we start playing football that we're in jail. The, the, ta- the league table on the first morning. I love that. I've, I always thought that lie. one. Doesn't lie. Um, <laughs> I'm going to counter Andy a little bit and say 13th, but I, I agree oh, with you guys. So I think we, we should have enough, especially with a few more signings. Last question then is from Chris K. And he Hi, says Chris. On a scale of Neil Warnock to Frank De Boer, how relaxed is Andy Street feeling about the upcoming season? I'm not sure I understand this scale. 
<laughs> well, I don't want to be compared to Frank De Boer, so I'm not going to go with Frank De Boer, but I'm feeling pretty relaxed. I think we're we're in a good place. We're starting to add some good players. I think there's some good good players already in the squad. Um, got a you know a good coach as well. So what's there not to be relaxed about, JD? So are you more Sam Allardyce on that scale? I'm not sure where are you. No, he's Neil. What he's just said he's Neil Warnock. That's going to be his nickname for the rest of the season now. <laughs> Old Warnock's on this pod again. Old legal Warnock. Excellent, uh, guys. Thank you so much for joining me for this preseason pod. Troy, great to have you back on the pod. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Bundle of laughs and some absolute serious chat as well. So that can't be bad. <laughs> Again, another good tagline for the podcast. Usually, um, <laughs> Palace's messaging. He clearly got a for it. Um, Kevin, great to have you here. Lovely to be back. It's really genuinely nice to be back. Top man. You can't say it's my house because we're all in our own houses now. So exactly. Um, and Andy Street, always good to have you on the pod. Good to be back top man and thank you to our listeners as well we've got the Athleti pod with Dom, Matt and Ed coming next week look out for that and then the season starts next weekend and we go again with the main pods and the Patreon pods at patreon.com forward slash FYP podcast in the meantime enjoy your week and we'll see you again soon Podcast Network.